So we're going to start a new uh, short series today, a, a practice series on the idea of Sabbath. And so as you came in, you probably saw practice guides in the lobby. If you didn't, you're welcome to grab those on your way out. Uh, there will be uh, right there. You kind of trip over them if you go through the center door, so you'll be able to find them real easily. Uh, and if you'd rather have a PDF copy, you can get on our website and download a PDF copy as well. And so we're going to uh, jump into that. And this series is designed to not just be teachings on Sunday mornings, but practices that go along with it, uh, practiced in community all week. And so this practice guide will, will help you get there. Um, so I was thinking o- o- over this week as I was getting ready for another series uh, that, it, you know, it's been 12 and a half years since I've been in the lead role and teaching pretty much every week. And so there's been a lot of new series, and I was thinking back over all of the series in uh, all of that time. And still, uh, to this day, one of my favorite series was one that was really, really early on. It was a series on the Old Testament poetic book of Ecclesiastes. Some of you have maybe tried to wade into Ecclesiastes. It's been uh, well over a decade since I've uh, preached that book. But I loved it not just because it's beautiful Hebrew poetry. It is that, and there's, there's so much to it. But because it's, it's incredible to me that thousands of years later, there's this book that so perfectly defines our cultural moment. Like, it's so wild, because you read into it and begin to understand what the poet's saying, and it's like, like this is written to 21st century North America. Like, it's crazy. Uh, so there, there are these two ideas that come back and forth throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, and um, I'll just kind of pose them this way. Uh, the, the one idea is this, that God has placed eternity within us. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it talks about the idea of God placing eternity in each man man and woman's heart. And so what that means is there's this eternal, infinite longing that we have, this this drive for something uh, grand and, uh, and infinite, bigger than we can get our arms all the way around. And so that's one aspect of what it means to be human. But the other aspect of what it means to be human is this repeated idea Uh, that I would summarize this way in the the way the poet says it, which is that our eyes are ever seeing, but never satisfied. And so there's this, this reality that we live in where we have this infinite longing, but we have finite experience. And so that finite experience can never satisfy the infinite longing. And so we live in this tension of, of longing for something but not being able to fully grasp it. So this morning, you and I got up because we wanted something. Like we'd still be laying in bed if we didn't have a desire, we didn't have a a longing. So for me, my longing this morning was to get up maybe earlier than many of you to be able to start with a really good cup of coffee, of course, it's very important, uh, and to spend some time quiet in prayer and in the scriptures and with the Lord, I really wanted to see a beautiful sunrise, and I wanted to have a a four-egg veggie omelet because that's the beginning of breakfast with champions. You know, that's like the the stepping into Sunday morning. That's That's what I was longing for when I got up this morning. What happened was I got up to the fact that the coffee I really wanted, we were out of, and I had to use the cheap coffee that has the, like, the weird aftertaste. After, I mean, it's, it's, it's coffee, but it's not really coffee, you know what I mean? And so, uh, like, yeah, that was not a great start to the morning. And, and I, I got to spend some time in the Word and in prayer, and like a lot of you, as I spend time in the Word and in prayer, my, my mind wanders at times. I'm like pulling myself back, and I'm kind of finding myself kind of going down rabbit trails and pulling myself back. So, so it was good, 
wasn't as good as it could have been. It was good. Um, if you opened your eyes this morning, you know how the really beautiful sunrise went. Uh, the sun rose somewhere, uh, not in York, but somewhere. I, so, you know, I, I saw clouds that gradually got lighter, whatever. Um, and I burnt the, the vegetables this morning. It's just the way it worked. Like, they, they were good, but they were a little browner than they should be. And, and that's our experience. Like, we long for something. You're, you're driven by a motivation, but that motivation is never perfectly fulfilled. Like, you're here because you want something. You maybe want a transcendent worship experience, or you want community. You're, you're lonely and you're longing for connection. You want to uh, form and shape your life. You, you uh, long to be uh, a better person and you feel like th- this is part of the way that you're going to become a better person. Whatever it is, you, you have a, a want, a desire that's driving you being here. And what you'll find is all of those things can be found here to some degree, but if you're here long enough, you'll find that none of them are fulfilled perfectly. In fact, very imperfectly over and over again. And that's just the case with our life. Like, um, you have a job because you want something. And sometimes that's really good, and sometimes that's really like a job. Um, You're in relationship or not in relationship because you want something. And those desires, they, they drive us, even though we can't fully experience them this side of heaven. The infinite desire drives our finite decisions. Carl Rayner, the Catholic theologian, said it in a beautiful way. He he wrote this. In the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable, we finally learn that here in this life, all symphonies must remain unfinished. So the idea that Rayner's getting at is there's all of this beauty around us, but the beauty around us always feels like it's just not quite there. It just doesn't quite, quite arrive. It's like that beautiful symphony that, that, that hits the pinnacle and starts to go down and then just kind of ends on the fifth and it just never quite gets done. And those musical people are just like, oh, it didn't finish. Like what? It's that, that sense of like, it's, not, it, it's there, it's good, but it's not quite there. Then that reality that we live in is stoked by the fact that you and I live in the 21st century, which means we live in a social media-driven world. And so you get on places like Instagram or Facebook or wherever you go, and you see people's um, infinitely beautiful lives because they're not telling you the bad part of their life, right? You don't, I don't think many of you post the bad stuff. You'd only post the good stuff, right? And so um, you're looking through and you see everybody else seems to be fully satisfied, and yet you're living in this place of not quite fully satisfied. And uh, to add to that, digital marketing experts tell us that if you are an average North American person, you see somewhere between 4,000 and 10,000 digital ads per day. How about that? 10,000 digital ads per day. I was a marketing major back a long time ago, and I remember that um, advertising is designed to make you feel restless, make you feel like you want something that you don't have. So 10,000 times a day, you're getting a message telling you you wish you had something that you don't currently have. It was uh, about a century ago, a columnist named Robert Quillen said that Americanism is spending money we don't have on things we don't want to impress people we don't like. (laughs) Sounds about right. That was 100 years ago. What do we do in the midst of that? How, How do we engage this desire that's within us that doesn't ever quite fully get fulfilled. 
Well, every world religion or philosophy seeks to answer that question. So Buddhism, for instance, uh, is a system where we create a series of detachments. We seek to eliminate all desire because you can't have unsatisfied desires if you don't have any desires. So the whole goal of Buddhism is to detach so that you wouldn't have desire. Secularism takes the other approach. Uh, Instead of trying to limit desires, secularism says, uh, experience everything that you can experience in the hopes that some of those experiences somewhere would be those, those beautiful transcendent experiences that would give you what you're longing for. But lone among all of the religions and philosophies of the world, Christianity makes a a bold statement. The infinite longing that's in your heart is actually a gift given to you by an infinite God. And the longings that we have are meant to be unsatisfied in this world because our longings are for another world. Our longings are are for an infinite and transcendent God. You've maybe heard one of the most famous lines uh, in the uh, history of literature was the beginning of confessions by Augustine of Hippo. St. Augustine said it this way, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We always will be restless apart from resting in an infinite God, which sounds beautiful. But here's the challenge we have. How do we live that out? Because that's not a moment in time kind of decision where you you come up front and you kneel down and you pray a prayer and you say, I'm satisfied in God today and now I'm satisfied in God for the rest of my life. Like, if, if you spent more than an hour with Jesus, you know that those desires creep back in real quick. And so we have to live in a rhythm, live in a way that... Um, that shapes those desires. And so when we enter into a practice series at York Alliance, the heart of what that means is that we seek to become more like Jesus. And if you're anything like me, the distance between you and Jesus is, uh, is pretty, pretty great. Like there's a, there's a big gap there. And so how do we change in such a way to become more like Jesus? Even though we may not fully experience that this side of heaven, how do we become more like him day in and day out? And uh, we talk about three primary ways that that happens, that we uh, hear teaching from the words, uh, from the word that is truth, and that word shapes us. We live in community, uh, the people around us shape us, but we also engage in full body rhythms, habits, practices, because it, it's our, to, the totality of our life, the rhythm of our Monday through Saturday, that shapes us as much as this time does on Sunday mornings. And so we enter into those practices And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is talk about finding rest in a restless world, finding peace in Christ through Sabbath. And so we're going to begin at the end of Matthew chapter 11, uh, just a short statement by Jesus, one that I think will uh, frame not just this morning, but the next four weeks for us as we begin to explore this practice of Sabbath. And so listen, Justin's going to read for us Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Listen to Jesus' words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.
Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, the idea of finding rest for our souls can be very elusive in the world around us. And yet your invitation is clear and hope-filled. And so by your spirit, would you meet us, weary people who are in need of your rest? And so God, would you guard my words and guide them that they would come from your spirit alone, that the words that come from my flesh would fall to the ground and be forgotten, but the words that come from your spirit would remain with us, that they would guide us not just through this week, but that they would shape us and form us according to your desire, your image. And so God, may our hearts be fertile ground and may our lives be shaped for your greater glory and for our greater joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like I said, I want to take this short series of verses and use it as a jumping off point for where we're going to be going. So I want to very simply talk about the two aspects that are in that text. The weariness that we have in our souls and the rest that Jesus offers. So soul weariness, the soul weariness that you likely came in here with, uh, that you, uh, if you just spend a little bit of time thinking about it, will uh, very quickly discover within your soul, and the rest that is offered. And so as we jump into soul weariness, uh, and as we jump into this teaching of Jesus, it's important to remember uh, something that we talk about here and there, which is that when Jesus teaches, he teaches in a somewhat unique way. As a, uh, as a, a Jewish rabbi, he very rarely said, this is what I expect of you, but rather Jesus would make statements about reality. Things that we interpret as commands, uh, when you look into them, were very rarely commands. They were just statements about what's true in the, in the world that God's created. So for instance, Jesus would say something like, um, you, you, no one can serve two masters, you can't serve both God and money. And we would take that as a command to serve God. But when you look at it, what Jesus is saying is, uh, this is the way reality works. Uh, the, the world that we're in is such that you're not able to serve two masters. Rather, you're going to have to choose a master to serve. You can only serve one or the other. Jesus says to his disciples, if you want to uh, follow after me, if anyone would be my disciple, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus wasn't giving a job description. He wasn't saying, okay, so if you're going to like sign on the line for discipleship, that means you're going to have to take up a cross every day. What he, what he was saying is, th this is the reality of discipleship. If you want to follow after me, it's going to require you dying daily to yourself in order to follow after me. It's just the way reality works. So it's not so much that I'm holding you to this standard. It's just that um, this is the way reality is. And so if you're going to enter into this, this is what's true. In the same way, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, there's an invitation in that, but there's also a statement of truth in there. Jesus is saying a couple things. Uh, fact number one that we need to uh, get our heads around is this. We are weary people. Uh, you, you are, whether you feel it explicitly on the surface or whether you have to dig down a little bit, you're tired, and so am I. We get worn out by the world around us, and a corollary to that fact is, um, for most of us, our faith pursuit actually makes us more tired, not less tired. 
don't know if I'm allowed to say that as a pastor, but that's the way it is. Like the truth is the way that most of us express our faith actually makes us more weary. Eugene Peterson, when he translates uh, and and kind of paraphrases Matthew chapter 11, uh, he says it in a a fascinating way. He says, the invitation is this, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? And when I read through that, that last statement, are you burnt out on religion, seems like, where's that in there? But it's the heart of what Jesus is saying as he speaks to the crowds, to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders. He's saying, does your practice of your faith wear you out? Well, guess what? My goal is not that you would be worn out. My goal is that you would be rested, rest for your souls. John Ortberg, in his book, The Life You Always Wanted, uh, makes this statement. I think it's really appropriate to us. So for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. The fact is, for most of you, there's very little risk that you're going to walk out of here and just say, I'm done with the whole thing. Just walking away from everything. I'm just finished. I'm not saying that's impossible. I'm just saying the, the chances are for most of us, we're in a place where we've, uh, we've devoted ourselves to Christ and we've made that decision and we're not moving back on that decision. But there's a, a, a very high level risk that we would practice our faith in such a way that we would be consistently worn out and never experiencing or very rarely experiencing what Jesus called life to the full. That we would be uh, living our faith in such a way that it actually drains us more than it lifts us up. Why is that? Well, let me use a word picture. Um, It's actually Jesus' word picture from John chapter 15. So in John chapter 15, as Jesus is teaching his disciples, he he talks about the idea of a vine and branches. And in that, he, he says this, that you and I as disciples are called to abide in the vine, to dwell with him. And that as we abide in the vine, we will bear much fruit. And then he makes the statement that apart from me, you can do nothing. So fruit naturally comes out of abiding in the vine. So fruit, uh, you can jump to uh, Galatians chapter 5 where uh, Paul explains the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. All these things naturally come out of us as we abide in the vine. But when we're not abiding in the vine... We can't do anything. We have no ability to bear fruit. So why do we get tired? Well, see, here's what happens. is There are times that we're really abiding in the vine, and there's other times for moments or hours or days or weeks where we cease to abide in the vine for all kinds of reasons, distractions, busyness, all kinds of stuff, and yet we still long to bear fruit. We know what we're supposed to do. We know the way we're supposed to act. We know the people we're supposed to love and the people we're supposed to be patient with. And so we, we try and we work at it and we find ourselves exhausted because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it's not just the normal rhythm of life, which is busy enough that wears us out. But it's actually the totality of trying to produce what Jesus has promised to produce in us through his own power. When we try to produce that in our own power, we get exhausted. We get worn out. As we go through that process, 
we find these weird moments that come up. So I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Um, let me, I'll just kind of give you a word picture. So my, my office is over in the corner of our house. And uh, that's where I often will just spend time in the morning just praying and processing and uh, just trying to get into a space to step into the day. And then I walk from there into the rest of our house. And you, the only way into the rest of the house is through the kitchen. And so I have this moment, you know, where I've just I've spent an hour or an hour and a half, and I've just been, you know, like meditating and praying and uh, like literally levitating around the room. Just kidding, I don't actually do that, but sometimes it feels like it, right? It's just like in this moment, it's just like it's, I'm probably, as I walk out of my office, I imagine that my face is glowing like Moses, right? Like radiating, I need a veil, but no veil because no, we're, we're fully in the new covenant, right? So I'm walking out and I cross into our kitchen and, and and God has given me four wonderful children, and the combination of these four wonderful children, I'm sure not one of them, but all of them in some way, shape, or form, um, as I cross into the kitchen, have left all of the dishes dirty in the sink, because contrary to any semblance of reality, they believe that there's a maid who lives in our house who is responsible to clean up the dishes, right? And so I come out of my office like glowing in the spirit and I cross into the threshold of the kitchen and all of a sudden Satan embodies me. I have no idea what happens, but it's like I cross in and I'm like, what just happened here? You ne-? And I'm like, what? Like, where did that come from? Like, and they have to be saying, I thought he was praying in the back room. <laughs> like, what's happened to him? Like, what's going on? Why? Be- because weariness is not just body weariness. Soul weariness doesn't just mean that we get tired. It means that we can't love and be patient and express the gifts of the Spirit in the way that we wish we would because we're just worn out. And so when you have those moments, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but you guys are making me feel like I'm the only one, but I, uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has those moments of like, like beautiful connection with God that within literally a split second, it just changes. And that happens because there's this this deep weariness that's within us when we are not fully abiding in Christ. And it can be as simple as seeing a sink full of dishes, and all of a sudden that abiding is out the window. So so what do we do? Well, um, one of the other problems is, fact number one, we are all weary, and the the religion that we practice, our faith journey doesn't always help with our weariness, sometimes it hurts. But fact number two is the way that we rest, for most of us, very rarely provides real rest. So think about what you do when you're worn out. Most of us, when we're worn out, our initial thought is, I just need to like stare at a game or Netflix or whatever the thing is, and I need to eat some stuff or drink some stuff, depending on where your, your stuff is. And you know, it's one of those things that when you're worn out, like I, I've never heard somebody say like, I am exhausted and I'm grumpy and I'm stressed. You know what I need? Carrots, celery, and an apple. That's what I really need. If I just had that, I'd be good. No, like what you say is, I need fried food and ice cream. That's what I need. And if, if you could put it together and give me like really good fried ice cream, that might work, but otherwise we're going to need like a full course meal here. We're gonna need, and it's always bad stuff, right? And, and we, so we, we binge watch and we, we eat stuff and it never satisfies. It doesn't give us what we don't really rest, but we feel like we're a little bit better. We can move on and we keep going. Or we do the thing where we uh, get on some social media app and we start scrolling and um, sociologists call it, um, so all of those apps, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever they are, uh, they're, they're called infinite apps because uh, you can't get to the end of them. 
And so sociologists call it doom scrolling because you just go and go and go. So whether, whether you do it for five minutes or five hours or like days and days, you, you can actually never get to the end of it. I don't know if you know that, but you can't like complete Facebook. You just can't, you can't finish it. You, it doesn't work that way. And so you, you have this like mental thing going on because you have a to-do list. Um, mine, my to-do list turns red when it's, uh, when it's late. And so I always have like about half my to-do list that's red. And so I have that in front of me. And then as you start scrolling through social media, you get to the end of your time, whatever that is. And subconsciously, as ridiculous as it is, your brain says, and I couldn't even finish Facebook. Unbelievable. Like, even though you know you can't finish Facebook, like it's impossible, but you have this thing in you that it's another thing that you intended to make you feel good, but instead you got to see everybody else's perfect lives while you wallowed in your not-so-perfect life, and then you didn't complete that thing either. Our rest very rarely gives us rest. And then even when we do, we get fed up with all the other stuff and we just uh, physically rest. We take a nap, or we lay in the hammock for a while, or whatever the thing is. We gain physical rest, But what Jesus has invited us into is rest for our souls, not just rest for our bodies. Uh, John Tyson is the pastor of Church of the City in New York City, and he has a great word picture about it. He, He basically says, if you think of your life like your cell phone battery... There's times where you're fully charged, 100%. You feel good because you know it's 100%. Like, you're, you're good. But then over the course of the day, it starts to, to wane. And most of us, as you're living your life, as I'm living my life, we get all the way to about 2% to where it's like, um, if I do one more thing on this, it's gonna die like right in the middle. Um, and we feel like that. Like, if I do one more thing, I'm gonna die. And so we plug in. Uh, but as we plug in, we, we start to do that little like, I really need to leave and I need my phone and I really need to do this, but it needs to charge. And so you wait as long as you can wait and you get to like 35% and you're like, that'll be, that'll, that's enough, that's enough. I'll take that and I'll go and I'll do whatever I, I do. And, and our rest is like that where we, we get up to 35%, 40%, whatever it is, and we're like, okay, that's enough. I'm not gonna die. And it's true, you're not gonna die. But 40% is not life to the full. And if you've never noticed this, uh, the, the idea of the, the busy, stressed out people who are trying to do too much and are pressed in from all sides, it's just not an attractive look, right? Like, it's like, like, have you ever met somebody who's running from thing to thing to thing and they have so much going on and they have so much pressure and they're stressed out and you just look at them and you think, I want to do that. That's what I want. That's what I want in my life. If I could just have that, I'd be in great shape. Like, nobody thinks that. And so Jesus... It, in order to create glory for himself and life for us, the fullness of life that he's promised, longs for us to live at more than 35%. As we become a testimony to the world around us, it's not going to be at 35%. So what did he invite us into? Well, as you read his his prescription, his instruction, uh, it's a bit counterintuitive. So verse 29, he says this, If you're weary, if you're tired, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this is 2,000 years later, and so you might not be as familiar with the picture that he's using, but a yoke is a work instrument. A yoke is what you'd put on oxen to help them to be more efficient in their pulling. What it feels like Jesus is saying is if you're really, really tired, I'll give you another way to work. 
And what I would say is, Jesus, I need a nap, not a yoke. Like, cut it out. Like, what are, you, what are you saying to me? And it feels like Jesus is saying, there's a more efficient way to do more. But that's not the heart of what Jesus is saying. What he's inviting us into is a whole different kind of life. Because, see, Jesus is not about us running away from the world around us. Uh, trying to separate ourselves. Sabbath is not about uh, removing ourselves from the world. It's about learning to live a life in the rhythm of God. So Dallas Willard in his book, Spirit of the Disciplines, I think gives a good uh, summation of it. He, He says it this way. In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. So in my words, I would just say it like this. If you are trying to add Jesus in to everything else, not only is it difficult, I would argue it's impossible to follow Jesus that way. You just, you can't shoehorn him in to the life of the rest of the world. uh, Maybe said a different way. Many of us aspire to have Jesus be the number one priority in our life. If I could just have Jesus at the number one priority, that's what I'm longing for. Can I just tell you a secret? Jesus is not interested in being your number one priority. He is interested in being the lens through which you see all of your other priorities. See, if all we try to do is move Jesus to the top of the list, there will be this constant tension of Jesus trying to compete with all of the other stuff that's going on in our lives. But what Willard's saying and what we're invited into is a holistic way of following Jesus that says, actually, every single aspect of my life is infiltrated by the fact that I've been called to follow after him. And so the the rhythms are not just the way I read the Bible. The rhythms are the way that I rest and work and eat, and sleep, and engage friendships, and engage people who are uh, challenging to me in a variety of different ways, and all of the different stuff of life, the holistic nature of life, all falls through the lens of Christ. And so that invitation into rest, the yoke that is placed on us, it is not just that we do a certain behavior and add that into everything else, like I need to do all of my work now in six days a week instead of seven days a week so I can Sabbath, No, he's saying, I I want you to look at all of your life, all seven days of your life, with an eye to the fact that I'm actually Lord of all of that. And so you can rest because I'm trustworthy, because I'm allowing you to rest. I'm giving you the ability to rest. Let me show you the full translation of Peterson. I I love the way he translates this uh, word from uh, Matthew chapter 11. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and, I'll, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That phrase, the unforced rhythms of grace, that's one of my favorite uh, kind of turns of phrase that Peterson uses in his translation because I think it's just such a beautiful picture. Like, what are, what are the unforced rhythms of grace? That just the, I, I rest into Christ and I move into a rhythm. Well, I think 
Matthew is actually going to tell us that. It's just going to be uh, in a different way than our, um, our North American minds work. So the way that Matthew has arranged his gospel uh, is intended for us to see these rhythms. Um, we're going to do a study in the fall on the scriptures and the way the scriptures come to us and what it means to uh, dive into the scriptures. And one of the things that you probably know is that um, the, the verse numbers and the chapter headings and the chapter numbers, those were added much later, like 1,500 years into uh, the, the pursuit of Jesus were th- those things added. And so there's a divide here between Matthew 11 and Matthew 12 in your Bible But when Matthew wrote it, it flowed straight from Jesus saying, uh, take my yoke upon you and uh, I'll I'll give you rest for your souls, this unforced uh, rhythms of grace. Uh, And then he immediately goes into Matthew chapter 12 where Matthew gives us not one but two stories about Sabbath back to back. Matthew's trying to say to us the, the practice of Sabbath, the rhythm of Sabbath is the way that you enter into the rest that you're called to, that you're invited into. Let me say it this way. If you take that cell phone analogy, Sabbath is not intended to be used when you get down to 2%. Like, I I can go and go and go and go and go, and when I get to 2%, I need to plug in. Sabbath is intended to be used in a regular rhythm. Six days you shall work, and on the seventh day you rest, so that your battery always comes back up to full, so that you and I live in a rhythm where we're constantly being refreshed. So as we talk about this over the next three weeks, you're going to get a a bunch of different perspectives on the way that process works. But the heart of the practice is that we would regularly, rhythmically get into a, a, a habit where we're being refreshed. Now, you may ask the question, what in the world does that have to do with all these desires that I have and all these drives that I have that are being only partially fulfilled in the world around me? So, so think of it this way. Sabbath, uh, literally, the, the, word, the, the Hebrew word Shabbat literally means to cease, to stop. And so in the Sabbath discipline, in that rhythm of six days you shall work and on the seventh day you shall Sabbath as a Sabbath holy to the Lord, that ceasing, that stopping, is saying All of these things that I desire, all these things I long for, all these things that are pulling at me, every six days I'm stopping and I'm acknowledging, whether I feel like it in the moment or not, I'm acknowledging I will never satisfy those desires because I can't. Only God can satisfy me. I stop and say, he is the only infinite being that can satisfy my infinite desires. And at first, that's maybe a couple minutes out of the 24 hours that you actually feel that. But over time, not just a couple weeks, but months and years and decades, you get into a rhythm where you're regularly ceasing from striving and you're saying, I I know that he's already satisfied all of the work. He's done it all. And so his infiniteness is filling my infinite desire. And so then I come out of Sabbath into the Mondays through Saturdays of life, if Sabbath's on Sunday for you. And I begin to live out of that reality that those infinite desires are being filled by an infinite God. It doesn't happen immediately. Like all disciplines, it takes time and practice. And at first, it feels really clunky. And it doesn't uh, work the way that you think it should. And all of that stuff. Like, I'm just telling you, like, as you start, if if you're not regularly practicing Sabbath now, as you start the practice of Sabbath, it will be really frustrating. Just warning you up front. 
Uh, you're going to get a couple hours in and find yourself doing stuff that you're like, oh, that's probably the wrong thing. I shouldn't be doing that. Or uh, you're going to be, you're going to sit there and just like stare at the wall and think like, what have, what, what am I supposed to do? Like some of you type A people, it's really, really difficult because like, like I'm, I'm all about doing and now I'm not supposed to do. So I'm going to just, I'll just sit here for a whole day. It's going to be awful, right? It, you'll, you'll get better at it as you go, but the beginning of it is just, it's a challenge. It's a, it's a struggle to begin to enter into it. But what starts to happen over time is you begin to get to a place of saying, he is actually enough for me. He actually satisfies me. And so the, the practice for this week is really simple. So in your practice guide, it's going to walk you through just a simple practice of a 24-hour period of Sabbath. So I, I want to simply invite you into practicing Sabbath for 24 hours. And some of you think that's really easy, and some of you said, I thought you said it was easy, because that sounds terrifying. I have no idea how I'm going to, to, to walk through that. And, and I just want to tell you, I told Pastor Tim yesterday, we were doing a wedding yesterday, and I said to him, you know, the, the irony of the fact that I'm starting a Sabbath series after the last month or six weeks that I've been going through is quite rich, because um, I I, at various times, have had good Sabbath disciplines and iffy Sabbath disciplines, and o- over the last six weeks, I've done decent at taking time off, which is different than Sabbath, and haven't done great at Sabbathing, and so I'm restarting with all of you. It's part of the process of us, at various times, just kind of recentering and stepping back into this, and, and so I want to invite you to try it. It might be, uh, for most most Christians in our culture, the easiest Sabbath time is Sunday. Uh, so maybe it is from sundown on Saturday to sundown on Sunday. Or maybe uh, I like to start at, at, in the evening. I feel like starting with a meal and then going to bed is a good way to begin Sabbath and then kind of getting up into your Sabbath day. But some of you may start first thing in the morning on Sunday, go all the way through Sunday. That's totally fine. Some of you, because of various things going on, I, Sunday's a work day for me, so I Sabbath on a different day of the week, and so that may be better for you. So my Sabbath is from sundown on Thursday to sundown on Friday. Um, so that it could work for you wherever you do it. But I, I want to encourage you to step into it. As I do that, I want to give you just a couple uh, quick objections that just immediately came to your head. So I'm going to read your mind real quick, and I'm going to help you um, with some of the things that you just thought. One of them. Sabbath is Old Testament law. We're under New Testament grace. I should not have to follow a Sabbath because Jesus didn't force me to do a Sabbath. I, so I'll tell you a couple things. One is um, a lot of really godly, Jesus-loving theologians would disagree with that, and a lot of them would agree with that. It's about split down the middle as people who think that Sabbath was reinstated in the New Covenant and not reinstated in the New Covenant. I would simply tell you I don't think it matters because Sabbath is wisdom whether it's law or not. So um, whether secular research or historical religious tradition, all signs point to Six days of work and a seventh day of rest is actually the way that we were designed. There's a fascinating little rabbit hole I went down this week of the seven-day week and why we're in a seven-day week cycle. And various times, uh, different cultures, during the French Revolution and during the Bolshevik Revolution, there were uh, times that those seven-day work weeks were tried to be changed for different reasons. And it never worked. Sometimes it went months, sometimes it went a few years, but it always came back to a seventh day, a seven-day work week. And secularists look at that and say, I don't know, really weird, not sure why that works. And Christians, of course, should look at that and say, I know why that works. That's the way it was designed. There's a rhythm that God's invited us into. And so, um, so whether it's law or not, there's just wisdom in this process. I love the way John Mark Comer talks about uh, that, that law idea. He says, uh, you know, there's no law against eating concrete. Like, you're, you're, you're allowed 
to, but, but wisdom says it's really dumb. So it's not, like eating concrete is probably not the way to go. And, and in the same way, you may say there's no law that says I have to Sabbath. But I would say wisdom would say it, it's smarter to do it that way. It's better, it's healthier, it's, it's good for your rhythm to do it that way. So that's one objection. Another objection for uh, some of you who've dove, dove a little bit more deeply into the scriptures. Uh, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4 here in a couple weeks. But Hebrews 4 talks about a Sabbath rest that Jesus has invited his people into. And so there are people who say, we're not called to a, a, a one day a week Sabbath. We're called to live out of the spirit of Sabbath. And so I don't need to take a Sabbath. I'm called to live out of the spirit of Sabbath. And, and I would say, yes, we're going we're gonna to get there. We're going to talk through that. I would say, absolutely, that's true. We are called to live a spirit of Sabbath. I would simply say, I, I'm not sure that there's a way to live a spirit of Sabbath without actually taking a Sabbath. Like, I, I just don't think it's possible. It's not even, uh, again, it's a statement of reality. I, I don't think you can live out of a spirit of Sabbath without also having a practical Sabbath. But probably the one that immediately jumps to most of your minds is, um, there's no way I could take a full day. You don't understand my life. Jesus doesn't understand how busy I am. And, and I, would, uh, I would first say, anytime you say Jesus doesn't understand fill in the blank, you're already probably in trouble. So um, I would say to you, Jesus does understand. Um, he, he gets it. Um, but I would also say this. All practices of any kind, whether it's prayer and Bible reading or Sabbath or fasting or celebration, whatever the discipline is, they're invitations into the fullness of life. This is not about if I practice Sabbath, I will be saved and Jesus will give me extra bonus points in heaven and I'll get a, like an extra jewel in the crown or something. Like it doesn't work that way. Like you're not getting extra credit for Sabbath. But you are invited into fullness of life. And so I would tell you 24 hours every, every seven days is the fullness of life. But start where you are, not where you wish you were or not where you think you should be. And so if you can't get 24 hours in next week, do what you can do. So it may be that you get up next week, you come to church, and you say, I, you know, after church, I can sculpt out three or four hours. So I can have a seven or eight hour Sabbath. That's better than a zero hour Sabbath. So start there. I would tell you that at some point in time, you need to get yourself up to a 24-hour Sabbath. And some of you said, okay, I can do that. I just looked at my calendar and December 2024, I'm up for that. And I would tell you, you're way too type A. Take a deep breath. Just relax. Um, but as quickly as you can, uh, it, it, move forward on it. But start where you are. Like, that, that's the beauty of grace. Jesus meets us where we are. I just said, like, my last six weeks have been a mess. Like, they've not been good within this rhythm of Sabbath. I don't feel guilty about that. I feel like I'm missing the life that Jesus has invited me into. And so I'm going to start back into the discipline with all of you. We're going to step back into it together. The desires that we have, the infinite desires we've been given, we're not called to make them less. Like a lot of us just want a good life. If you say, like, I, I just like to I just like to have a good life. Jesus wants you to have way more than a good life. The invitation of John chapter 10 is that you would have, I would have life to the full, abundant life. And so it's not that we need to pull our desires back. It's that we need to recognize that the way that we meet those desires will never fully satisfy us. That only Jesus can do that. 
C.S. Lewis, in his essay, The Weight of Glory, I, I would still say it's maybe the best single thing that C.S. Lewis has written. Uh, it's a famous quote that you, uh, you maybe are familiar with. Lewis says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Most of us have gotten used to life at 35% because we just figure like that's the way life is. This is the world we live in and this is, all, this is the best I can do. I would simply push back and say, I don't think it's the best we can do. There is more life on offer for us. It will take work, it will take discipline, but as we step into it, it's not that our desires are too strong. It's that we haven't tapped into the infinite source of the satisfaction of those desires. And so I want to invite you over the next four weeks to wrestle with this stuff. And I'm, I, I would not ever promise you that it will be easy, but I think it will be really good. And so for today, um, I, I want to just invite you to begin that process of rest. Um, for for some of us, rest is hard to come by. And so we're just going to take a moment in just a minute and just be quiet and just be in the presence of God. And as we just sit quietly, God may speak some truth into your heart about this idea or just about rest in general, about busyness, about a need to admit and repent and turn. And that's, that's great. And then as the worship team begins to lead us, Scott's just going to read some scripture over you, some of the promises of God. I want to ask you to just listen. Listen to what's true. Rest. And then as we sing in response, uh, respond in the way that God calls you. So that may be coming to an altar. That may be right where you are. That may be uh, thinking into the week that you're in. It may just be resting in the presence of God. Wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to respond. So if you just kind of push your stuff over to the side and just center yourself, um, and just maybe close your eyes and take a, take a full breath. One of those things we don't recognize is how rarely we breathe deeply uh, because our life is full of shallow breathing. So fill your lungs up all the way. Just deep breath all the way in and let it go out. Take another breath. Just close your eyes and relax into the presence of Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you just come and meet us? And may we hear those words just resonating in our heart. Come to me, all you who are weary heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest for your souls. And so, Spirit, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, I thank you for the beauty of the way you meet us in the quiet. For most of us, we have to admit that quiet is hard to come by in our life. And so we 
Just rest in your presence. Spirit, would you guide us as we seek to step into this life that you've promised? Would you help us to um, set aside those uh, thoughts and ideas that just say it's not practical, that's not the way I'm wired, and um, that we would, would step into the fullness of life? And even when we wrestle with this practice, which we will, um, we would step into what you have for us. And so God, meet us. Would you help us to hear your truth spoken into our lives and to respond to you as you call us to so that we would be people who enter into the life that you've promised. Jesus' name.